HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by Diageo Bar Academy. Learn more at diageobaracademy.com. That's D-I-A-G-E-O baracademy.com. World Central Kitchen is serving thousands of fresh meals to Ukrainian families fleeing home, as well as people remaining in the country. This week on Let's Talk About Food, host Louisa Kasdan spoke with Henry Patterson about his upcoming relief trip. So you're going to Poland, and I think you told me you're going to be there for at least two weeks. I'm going to Poland to help feed Ukrainian refugees. With Jose Andreas's World Central Kitchen, I decided that's what I wanted to do for my 70th birthday. I leave in just a few days. We all see that what the Russians are doing is contemptible. As a food person, we all love to help. It's in our DNA. And here are people who really need our help. So if you want to help the Ukrainian refugees, either with money or even your hands and heart, find hashtag Chefs for Ukraine and World Central Kitchen. We have to do something. We can help. Remember hashtag Chefs for Ukraine. So you don't shun the devil with your rock and roll load. Knows that country music's gonna save your soul. The Welcome back to the Speakeasy. I'm Damon Bolte. I'm Southern Teague. And I'm Greg Benson. Guys, we're all back in the same room together for, for the first time in four weeks. I haven't been on the show. I'm sorry. Yeah. Where, where have you been at? Uh, you know, I was at I was in San Diego. Uh, Bruce, my head bartender, Demoria Margo, and uh, who used to work at Polite Provisions, and I went out and took over Polite Provisions for a night, and it was a blast. But the hotel that I was staying in simply didn't have enough uh, Wi-Fi strength for me to get my uh, rig up and running for the show, which mm-hmm. sucked. And then the two weeks before that, we're just uh, scheduling conflicts because I'm just insanely busy with, um, you know, we have now 10 locations in the East Village, uh, different properties under Overthrow Hospitality's um, uh, banner. And that's great to have all those spots that are so close to one another uh, so we can rely on each other and help each other out when we need things like if an ice machine breaks or if you run out of seafold towels or need a box of lemons, whatever. So we decided to open two more, one in Boulder and one in L.A., thousands of miles apart wow. and thousands of miles from our locations. Um, <laughs> so, you know, that's really um, logistically become quite a challenge. Uh, neither is open yet. They'll both be open, sadly, at the kind of the same time, 
We had planned for Boulder to be open sooner and then LA to be second. But of course, construction woes and things like that are slowing Boulder down. And for whatever reason, the opposite is happening in LA. Things are moving faster than expected. So it looks likely that they're just going to line up and open at the same time. Wow, that's crazy. Can you talk about like the concepts that you're doing for those yet? Or is this all still uh, hush hush? We've never subscribed to that. I personally have never subscribed to that either. That whole like, let's keep it quiet until we get open. Like we're just bang the drum and tell you that we're coming. So you get excited for us to be here. Um, our sort of, I don't like to use these terms. I don't think we're big enough to use them, but, but I don't know what else to say. Our sort of flagship restaurant in our group is called Avant Garden. Um, and the one, uh, the only one that exists currently is here in New York. It's tiny, 32 seats, but it's, it's really a dynamo with great food and great service and a great style that we thought we'd replicate. The one here in New York is right next to a church, meaning it can only serve, um, beer and wine. Uh, um, so it has no, they have no cocktails there. Um, there's there's no room to even put a bar to do beer and wine cocktails, so so we just just pour wine. Um, but the other two we're going to call Avant Garden Bistro, similar style and ethos. They're both uh, they both seat over a hundred, uh, and they'll both have full liquor licenses. Um, the LA one won't have it right away, but the Boulder one already has a liquor license, so we're going straight into it. The LA one will grow into one in about eight months. Um, so wow. Avant Garden Bistro is coming soon. Congrats! Yeah, Very so cool. pretty exciting. Uh, means I'll be doing some. Traveling to those two parts of the country that I don't uh, necessarily go to very often. Um, and, uh, yeah, things are moving very quickly. Nice. Awesome, man. Yeah, it's the finally the year of vacations for you, huh? Yeah. You're going to take all these trips to Boulder, yeah. San Diego, Los Angeles, getting yeah. getting out and about in the world, man. Here we go. It's time. You have a private jet, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, we got the overthrow hospitality jet <laughs> that runs on uh, vegan fuel. <laughs> all all corn oil on that one yeah corn and soybeans uh. <laughs> it's a bus that's that's just what it is yeah. it's just a it's just one of those old hippie buses but it gets yeah. great mileage yeah <laughs> slow and steady wins the race yeah speaking of old hippie buses uh david tell us tell us about that sweet new whip that we saw on uh on instagram briefly last week Oh, Tesla. <laughs> that that one, yes. Uh, what a weekend. Uh, so yeah. So for those who don't know, I have an identical twin brother. We both live in the in Marin County in California nowadays. Um, we both bought Teslas this weekend, the same model, Model Threes, and like neither of us own Teslas anymore. Um, it's it's kind of an unfortunate <laughs> thing. So he got in a wreck. Uh, someone ran through a red light, T-boned him. He had the car for two days. Jamie, my fiance, and I got a Model 3 as well. The, the day that he got in a wreck. And then we found out that it had all these problems that, like, the car was great. It's just that um, it had been repaired several times from incidents that's been, that it had been in. And they were unreported because the previous owner worked for State Farm Insurance. I don't know if I should say that on here. But, but, um, Too late now. Was, yeah, was able to go in and erase all the service records. Super shit. That's unscrupulous. Yeah. So yeah, that's that sucks. I'm really glad you found that out though. And and yeah. And that the there was no um they didn't contest it at all. They just took the car back. Yeah, they did they knew that there was a huge oversight, you know. So anyway, we're gonna get another one. Um because <laughs> we had it for twenty four hours and it was freaking awesome. <laughs> so we're we're shopping for another one. But yeah, thanks for bringing I, bringing that up, Greg. <laughs> I think it, it sounds a little it sounds a little bit um, 
off brand for you though. I picture you in your, you know, big old sort of muscly truck and a little bit older vehicles and cowboy hats and guitars and yeah, Tesla. Well, <laughs> no, here's the thing, man. It's all moving in that direction by 2030, I believe it's 2030 in California, you won't be able to buy a new car that runs on gas, even a hybrid. Everything's got to be electric. Um and then hopefully, you know, the world falls. I I'm not against I know I'm very old school and I still have classic cars and a Harley and all that, but like you know, I'm just trying to, trying to do some good, you know, <laughs> trying to like, trying to, I mean, you're not a vegan, but you own vegan restaurants. You know what I mean? Truth, <laughs> truth. So, thousand yeah. percent true. No. And I, yeah. I think about this almost the same way I think about like lab grown meat, right? It's like, you know, there's always going to be a place for, you know, people who want to pay a little bit extra for a steak that came from a cow or a pork chop that came from a pig. And I think that's fine. But I think if we can make lab grown meat and electric cars, the default you know, if people like, yeah, like classic cars are beautiful. A gorgeous, like, you know, medium rare steak is beautiful. And I think that if, you know, you get to a point where people are willing to pay a premium for it, but that's not the thing that's just like, yeah, you know, the default thing is the thing that's terrible for the environment. I think that's going to be a, a, you know, that will be a great step in the right direction, I think. Yeah, I'm just trying to use like gasoline more sparingly. I mean, it's like six dollars a gallon out here in California now, and uh, I mean, obviously they're talking about it going back down, you know, because of the whole Ukraine thing. And, uh, it, but like, also, I drive like at least a hundred miles round trip every day. Oh wow! Going to and from work, so I work out in Napa Valley, and I live in Marin, so it is a it's a hundred mile at least round trip that I'm doing every day. So it just makes sense to kind of make the switch, and then I can, you know, take my gas guzzling old 69 Ford and, you know, drive it two miles <laughs> to, to the local bar and back, you know? Right. Yeah. Perfect. It's not, it's there, it's there to be seen. Yeah, totally, man. And I just <laughs> had the engine rebuilt in that. So it's like running like a top. It's great. So it's maybe a li- slightly more efficient than it was before, but yeah. Anyway. So, so what you're I saying is you're not going to celebrate national bike to work day this year. <laughs> I can't. Yeah, <clears throat> I, I knew your commute was long. I just assumed it was traffic. I didn't realize it was a 50 mile one way trip. Holy cow. But it's a great commute. I mean, I'm just driving through one country, you know, it's, yeah. it's, you know, when I uh, sign on with the organization that I'm with, with NJ Gallo, they were like, we connected because of the show. Um, uh, our brand manager, John Chambers, he was, you know, he, he's listened to the show for years now. And, I, that's how we met. He, we connected about the, the California Brandy house and um, he was explaining the, the job to me. And I was like, it sounds like, like, like a brand ambassador job. And he's like, it is, but you don't have any sales KPIs and you don't have to get on a plane. And I was like, that sounds great. He's like, you don't even have to go to the city and visit accounts. He's like, all you do is you're going to be driving through one country like a few days a week. I'm like, I will do this. <laughs> you know, <laughs> it's pretty sweet. I don't have a roller bag full of sample bottles. It's uh, I just, I get paid to talk, you know, about something I'm very passionate about, which is California brandy. Um, it's a very complex spirit, you know, yeah. and uh, you know, I know that we're all very much into complex spirits. Uh, indeed. And speaking of complex spirits, uh, Greg, who's in the virtual studio with us today? In the virtual studio with us today, we have Philip Duff, spirits educator and on-premise consultant for liquid solutions limited and CGO that's Chief Geneva Officer for everyone following along at home of Old Jeff Geneva. Phil, how you doing, man? Hey, Greg. What's up? It's been a while, and I think me being here, 
only proves that the pandemic is still with us because times have become desperate enough that I am back on the speakeasy, which I'm very grateful. <laughs> lean days ahead, my friend, lean days. No, it's it's good to hear from you. I don't think you used to live around the corner from a place that I was the GM of in 2019 in the Upper East Side. And I'm not sure that I have, I mean, I, I used to see you fairly regularly there. I think this might be the first time that you and I are talking in real time since we shut down for two weeks to uh, flatten the curve. Yeah, I think you're right. And ever since then, you've taken up uh, podcasting with a passion. You now appear to do about seven. I remember your very <laughs> last day at uh, the Rochard. I think it was a Friday or something. I went in. We had a mezcal, uh, and then I fucked off, and the Rochard no longer exists. And in the interim, we've uh, been landlocked back at home. I escaped out of New Zealand back to New York on St. Patrick's Day 2020, wow. which was 42 hours long, and I barely made wow. it back. Yeah, Oof. And now the world is, is reopening again. I've started my own podcast. I've only done three episodes, but I've already had an offer for $1.6 billion from Spotify. <laughs> Right. So, oh, they really lowballed you on that one. Yeah, man. Those I think offers come and go. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I don't know if they're the right people. Is what it is. <laughs> How I do you feel know. about horse dewormer? That's the real <laughs> question here. Well, I think an opinion on that and the ability to cogently discuss jujitsu are a prerequisite. And I did grow. I did grow up in the countryside, so I can definitely make an opinion about uh, about horse dewormer. The rest of it leaves me absolutely cold. <laughs> well, let's talk about let's talk about your show a little bit. The Philip Duff Show. Um, what what what's the focus and what what are you, what message are you trying to get out there? You're only three episodes in, so maybe you haven't really cultivated that yet. But talk to me about it, about what's going on so far. Yeah. So obviously, the world needs uh, an, another podcast and youtube show from a middle-aged white guy it's you've, you've got to give the, <laughs> the world is the world is really short on wants. experts <laughs> yeah and like two drinks in i'll talk about anything epidemiology ukraine it doesn't matter no what it was as uh we were chatting before we went live so there many years ago inspired by the first person I ever saw it do it sinjun frizzell noted restaurateur of gage and tolner and for Defiance in Red Hook, Brooklyn. But before that, he was just Sinjin Frizzell, who knew everything about Charles H. Baker Jr. He put a great deck that he had given as part of a seminar, Tells the Cocktails, up on a website called slideshare.net. And back then, you could put your deck up and then record narration. So it was like going to a, you know, a seminar at a show, but you didn't actually have to go. So this was great. And I used to do that with all my decks. So there's, I don't know, 60, 80 of them up there. And then a few years ago, SlideShare just removed the possibility to record narration and erased all the audio. So all the decks are just kind of there, right? And it's just, I use them, the visuals more like flashcards, you know? it's uh, the, the main thing to do if I'm teaching a seminar is to look at me and listen to me. That's kind of how I have it set up. <laughs> and it occurred to me, you know what? There's a feature in PowerPoint, believe it or not, um, Souther PowerPoint computer program, and you, you can record narration. <laughs> you can actually record your PowerPoint with you advancing the slides and narrating it and output it as a video file. So I did that. Uh, so I've done it for three of my seminars so far, How the Global Drinks Business Works, uh, Geneva History and Mixology, which is the newest one that debuted only last November. And the Joy of Citrus, which was uploaded only today, which is a seminar that I first gave back in 2011 at Manhattan Cocktail Classic, RIP. Oh, yeah. Whoa, MCC. 
Yeah. And then I thought, well, no, no sense doing it halfway. I ripped the audio out and started a podcast, which you can see on Spotify and Stitcher. And it should, you should be able to find it on Apple, but I can't find it just yet for the people who, who listen to the podcasts. What I'm going to do is it'll be a mix. So it'll be essentially the audio for seminars. And I'll try to make them audio friendly so people can listen along and learn about, you know, everything from uh, Amalfi Lemons to the dark history of rum and Geneva and things like that. But I do want to have people on and interview them and kind of kind of go for a while and go deep. And what I notice is there's a lot of people who don't want to say the things that they would say if the microphone wasn't on. I think you've probably seen a bit of that with the podcast over the years, sure. right? And then it suddenly goes quiet on this podcast. Too. Yeah, no, no, no. yeah absolutely. absolutely. I'm, just, I'm just mentally rolling through all the things I probably shouldn't have said on the air, but but, <laughs> but I'm familiar with this in theory. Yes, please go on. And by the way, for um, uh, speaking to listeners, there's a special discount this month on State Farm. That's D A M O N. Yeah. The next person who T bones you, Damon, might be that guy from State Farm. Oh my god. No, it, it is like listening to more podcasts in the last two years, but it was kind of, my ears pricked up, um, what was it, about four, a few months back, there was a soiree at the drinks writer, Tony Sachs's place, and I was chatting to Robert Simonson, the other drinks writer who was there, and he mentioned something that whenever he spoke to bartenders about drinks companies, like a drinks company that had done something that was like unequivocally dumb, right? Or they produced a, a product that really shouldn't be aimed at bartenders. It should, it should go straight to consumers and yet they're trying to do stuff. You know, like Bacardi has that petal and flower vodka for women, that kind of thing. Yeah. He would contact bartenders. He knows many, many bartenders all around the world and ask for a quote. And it was like the mafia code of silence. They would never, ever say anything critical. Whereas in the worlds of beer and wine, people are much more self-assured and they'll say yeah that thing that heineken did sucked or that thing that you know wine company x did was dumb and he's just i can't get any quotes out of people for that so i'd like to have you know some some real talk as they say about the uh the weirder stuff the stuff that might go above some of our heads that's influenced by you know stock market movements shareholder pressure stuff like that and then just a good old deep dive into different sectors like rum is an insane sector california brandy is pretty insane right now as well damon as i'm sure you know yeah for sure totally insane just so, the wild west <laughs> so so what i'm hearing from you it sounds to me anyway and you can correct me if i'm wrong you know uh, you've been known as a presenter and educator for a long time in our field, and uh, you've stepped away from your role with Tales of the Cocktail. Are you just trying to kind of refill that that gap in your life and be and, and have an educational outlet? Well, the thing is, I don't want those se- seminars to wither on the vein, uh, on the vine, as it were, and it gives me a chance to come back and update them. Right, because things have changed. You right. take another pass. You release them for other people in other channels that might not have the chance. Because as we always used to say at Tales of the Cocktail, of all the people who come to Tales of the Cocktail, it's only 10% of the people who want to, right? right. Uh, everybody, even in England whether or as far fields, Australia, it's just not a practical thing. In fact, it's not a practical thing for most people to go to London, right, or Toronto or stuff like that. And especially not now where people are either still broke 
because of all the COVID lockdowns or they're horrendously overworked because of the massive staff shortages in our industry. And my regular gig, which is going around the world, speaking at bar shows, advising drinks companies, especially on on premise, that's picking up again. You know, I was in London a couple of weeks ago. I'm hitting the road again. On Friday, I'm going to be in Tel Aviv in May for Tel Aviv Cocktail Week. So mm. that's that's coming back. But I guess this is kind of another string to my bow. Yeah, another way for you to get get the information out there and much more convenient, right? Everything everything can be uh, you know accessed online at any time of day from anywhere in the, on the planet. So it really gets you out there. Um, that's pretty cool. I'm excited to tune into your podcast. I, I, I wasn't aware until today uh, that you came on and, and mentioned it to us that, that it existed, but it's only three episodes. How, how often do you plan to put one out? I, I think weekly at first, you know, maybe save up a few. So if I am on the road, I can keep putting them out. Not more than that, because as you know, it's it's quite a big commitment and everything the the seminar ones will always have a PowerPoint behind it, a reading list, and you know that takes a while. It takes a while to put together, and even if I'm just mining from the archives, and it's a bit like Taylor Swift re-recording her old albums, <laughs> uh, it does add up. Yeah, of course, it's a lot of energy and effort on your part. And I, I, for one, know your work already, so I'm 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 already uh, planning to be impressed by what you put out, and I can't wait to check into it. I'm really uh, interested to check out the update of the 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 seminar you were talking about about uh, um, the the drinks business how the drinks global drinks business works you've updated it for 2022 with new numbers and new stats and I'm pretty pretty curious to watch that one and also got to mention this too you know that the we try to refer to uh, Taylor Swift at least once uh, every week on the show so thank you for helping us hit yeah. that quota just want to make sure <laughs> we acknowledge that you know yeah nailed yeah. It. This one's for all the T-Swift uh, fans out there. <laughs> no, but uh, I wrote this seminar, and even at Tales, we could not find a single company to sponsor it because it's about how the company works, about how drinks firms operate, and everyone always bitches about them. They're like, oh, Company X has Brand Y, and Brand Y is my favorite. Insert any brand you like there. It could be Benedictine, it might be Plymouth, whatever, but they never do anything with it. They've got this amazing brand, and I kind of explain in the seminar why they're ignoring it, right, and how the structure of all modern drinks companies was built, uh, how it's a sort of an MBA management consultant-led thing, Everything's scientific and because everyone wants the corner office. Nobody uh, either wants to or is allowed to take any risks anymore. Sure. So instead of developing brands like, you know, Bailey's and Tanqueray 10 and the Singleton, all they're doing is waiting for uh, entrepreneur brand to get to 10,000 cases or 80,000 cases, and then they'll just buy it. And then frequently they'll fuck that up too. Right, mm-hmm. the, the the it can be the kiss of death being bought. Just ask anybody who works at forty two below vodka. Right, right. I don't know if it can anymore, but but uh, so I guess I, I my question is how do you get this message out then in a in a venue? You know, I'm thinking of tales, but really any you know big uh, cocktail festival, cocktail conference, whatever you want to call them, that is so dependent on like. Oh my God, you know, Bacardi is sponsoring this event or like Tanqueray is sponsoring this event. Like, how do you, how do you get something that's kind of a, you know, lift up the log and see what's underneath message out there? Well, there's always unsponsored seminars, obviously, at all the shows. Sometimes they don't really allow any sponsorship, like at Bar Convent Berlin on the main stage. 
it has to be, you know, an educational topic. It can't be any kind of a promotion for you, your company, your brand, your clients, anything like that. Uh, you can do that in the sort of smaller rooms that they do off the side of it. But, you know, there's a lot of bar shows out there. Some of them will say, hey, you know, uh, we want you to do a vodka seminar with, you know, vodka brand X, probably, you know, uh, some kind of a sponsor. But this permeates the entire drinks industry. I had a column in Drinks International for several years. And every now and then my editor would say, hey, Phil, I want you to do an article on Amaretto. I'd say, right on, great. Gives me an excuse to dive deep into Amaretto, the history of which is wild. You have no idea about the history of Amaretto, and neither did I. But they'll say, oh, and can you interview this person, this person, this person? And it's always brands you have never heard of. Right, they've just been created, or they've got a bit of money behind them, and they've committed to an ad in the paper, and that's it. And you kind of have to include them, right? And that wasn't even the worst bit. Uh, sometimes they were very good brands, but you try to get something out of them, and it would be like squeezing blood from a stone. I'm like, dude, I'm trying to help you here. Give me a bit of news, you know? Right. Tell me about the the time your Tesla got T-boned by the dodgy guy from State Farm. State <laughs> yeah. Farm. Use Damon. D-A-M-O-N. That's you. Yeah, that's right. yeah. So yeah, that de- it definitely happens. We don't have a separate voice in spirits. We don't have a separate media. Like there are people who write about wine who are beholden to nobody. You know, they, they don't care about being hired by the big wine companies. They have columns in newspapers and they work with retailers. They have no special interest. The same is true in beer. We don't really have that. Like you go right. see a seminar tales, you pay 80 bucks for a ticket, but that ticket is still being subsidized by the brand sponsorship, mm-hmm. right? Because every seminar is sponsored and it's the job of the education committees of tales and ultimately the leadership to make sure that it doesn't get too intrusive. But even if there was no link at all between the sponsors and the people who prepare and teach the seminar, just knowing your seminar is sponsored by, you know, Bally Go Backwards Irish Whiskey, uh, you know, that's going to influence how you teach your Irish Whiskey seminar, for instance. And it's just, it's how it goes. But me doing this thing gives me a voice, you know, it's kind of like direct-to-consumer cocktail shipping. People can discover it. Uh, They're not sponsored, uh, not the moment. Although, if anybody wants a sponsor, please <laughs> contact my... You're going to be in a bidding war against Spotify, unfortunately. <laughs> right? So bring your checkbook. That's but the nature yeah, of the game. It is. Yeah, I think so. You guys know better than me. This has to be... I don't know. Is this the longest running Mixology podcast? I, I believe I'd it have is. to get somebody to fact check it, but it seems like we're at least I think in the that it is, brother. Um, we, I've been doing it for... Over 11 years now. You've been on yeah. for five now? Uh, yeah, something like that. Well, my, my anniversary's in my The show's almost somewhere. old enough to drive, you know? Yeah, right? <laughs> Pretty crazy. A Tesla. A Tesla. Yeah. <laughs> Be sure to um, contact State Farm. Um, <laughs> speaking of sponsors, we should take a quick break and... Uh, <laughs> hear from our own, yeah. <laughs> All right, be right back in a bit and don't go anywhere. So, Souther, as we're talking about on today's show, uh, travel is back. Not all the way back, but like it's back enough Coming that back. it's looking like we might actually be able to go to a few conferences this summer. And I'm looking very forward to going to Tales of the Cocktail, if at all possible. And again, it seems like it's going to be. So, very excited. 
Yeah, absolutely. It's it's just nice to be able to get back into a world where, you know, we can we we have the freedom to be able to do this, but I think we also have to be conscious of the fact that not everybody has that freedom, you know, whether or not you are a, a special case or you're looking out for your health for a, a particularly, you know, intense reason. Uh, if you are after the pandemic totally strapped and don't have the cash to make it to New Orleans, or if after the pandemic you are working your ass off and don't have the time to make it to New Orleans or wherever else the cocktail festival of your dream is happening this summer, um, we understand the world's a topsy-turvy place since uh, we all took a big break from it in 2020 and things have changed. But there is one place where people can go that's basically a cocktail conference that's happening 24-7 all the time. What is that, Southern? Yeah, and it's on demand. It's Diageo Bar Academy online uh, where you can go and get uh, all sorts of courses. And right now they're offering a few. I just took the their new one. Uh, it's all about Guinness called Guinness Essentials. Uh, I, got it, I got it right in time for St. Patrick's Day. I know that was last week, but uh, it was a great course. It only takes about 30 minutes as all of their new e-learning classes are. Um, and they're, again, on demand. You can do them whenever you want. And the, the best part is, as you just mentioned, cost prohibitiveness is the number one reason people don't get to go to conferences or take educational courses. And this is absolutely free. I think that's the best part about it. Yeah, I love it. And and I also love that there's, you know, like a, any good cocktail conference, there are classes for every level of expertise. So whether you're just starting out and want to learn and, you know, this is kind of you dipping your toe into the big, wide, crazy pool of cocktail bartending or whether you've been doing this for 20 years, there's definitely something there. There's no one who can go here who can see something, who can look at all of it and be like, no, I already know all of this. There's always something new to learn there, which I really appreciate. 1000% agree. Uh, so I would say uh, if you want to learn more about what Diageo Bar Academy has to offer, go and visit diageobaracademy.com. That's D-I-A-G-E-O baracademy.com. Become a member and be sure to opt in for the newsletter. Uh, that's the thing that comes uh, once a week and, and updates you on what other classes are there to be taken. And again, it's all 100% free and on demand. Diageo Bar Academy. There's no greater value. Hey everyone, I'm Jesse Sparks, host of the new podcast, The One Recipe, from the team behind The Splendid Table. This pod is all about that one recipe that you lean on. The one you share with friends, the one you make when you need a little love, and the one you know will work every single time. Every week, I talk with chefs and gifted cooks from all over the world about their one, and the story behind it. We're here to help you build your kitchen library one dish at a time. Follow The One Recipe wherever you get your podcasts. I want to tell you about HRN's Business Membership Drive. Now, we all know that small businesses keep our communities vibrant. So for $500, HRN will shine a light on your work and will help you sustain our mission to expand the way people think about food and drink. This fundraiser will support not just my show, this show, but the amazing HRN community of food podcasts. And as a thank you for this tax-deductible donation, your business will receive on-air mentions, social media posts, listings on our website, and more. So go to heritageradionetwork.org slash biz, that's B-I-Z, to become a business member today. That's heritageradionetwork.org slash B-I-Z. Thanks. And we are back. You're listening to the Speakeasy on Heritage Radio Network. And in the studio today, we have just really a drinks legend. Um, we've got Philip Dup in the studio again, which uh, has been great. We've been talking about a lot and nothing uh, at the same time. <laughs> and we've talked a lot about insurance policies for yeah. automobiles that you only own for 24 hours. Um, but no, 
more importantly, you know, I, I like that we're talking about this new podcast of yours and really, I mean, like, I know we're still like, it, we're in the virtual studio still, but it, you know, the world is opening back up. So we're going to be able to start going back to Tales of the Cocktail and Bar Comet Berlin and things like that. So, and what you, you kind of said something earlier that kind of struck a chord with me, you said that like only 10% of the people who go to any of these actually want to be there. Right. But and you said it's like kind of impractical for a lot of people to get to these seminars as well. I think that's what makes this so important, you know, like the virtual, like your podcast, um, your decks that you put online for people to peruse, uh, and the narration behind them. I mean, it's, you can actually be there without being there. Right. So there's so much information about it too. Like, I mean, I, I would love to check out the one on the history of, of Amaretto because honestly I know what it is, but, I've never really scratched too deep into that story. So, I, I, you know, and I look, I like the kind of weird backstory of all these, like the, something that's been on the shelf for so long and like ubiquitous to be on every back bar. And then like, I'm like, wait a minute, I guess I don't really know too much about it, but maybe I should. So it's great to have the, the access to that nowadays, you know, as opposed to even like 11 years ago when this show started, you know, it's, it's just, there's so much more out there. So, and I know that you have a lot of information uh, and a lot of stories and a lot of jokes about it. So I can't wait to check it out, but also, man, one of those spirits is Geneva. I mean, it's, it's been around for a really fucking long time, you know? Uh, And so why don't you tell us about uh, old Duff Geneva? Yeah. I mean, I have to be careful here because you could, wind up drinking from the fire hose. <laughs> One of the problems with Geneva is there's too much history. And yeah. every time I write and talk about it and I do a bit of research and I teach a seminar or I talk about it somewhere like here, people come up and give me even more information, right? It's mm-hmm. like washing your car while it's raining. I was in Sweden recently. I had um, the first published Rest of first published ads for Geneva in Sweden were from the early 1800s. I was interviewed in the two major Irish newspapers in the last month, the Irish Independent, the Irish Times. And I was able to point out there was regular weekly ads for Holland Gin, as it was known, in the Freeman's Journal, a Dublin newspaper, every single week from 1726 on. So, like, it was, it was only a couple of years ago that I learned, we all know about um, Rip Van Winkle. Yeah, the dude who fell asleep and he woke up and it was 20 years later. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Everyone knows the story. It was a huge, huge story in, I believe it was 1819, written by Irving Washington. But do you know why he fell asleep? He was drinking Jennifer. Bingo! <laughs> kind of like led me this, to it there, Phil. <laughs> yeah, it, it would have been weird to know it was Amaretto. Yeah, no. <laughs> <laughs> He went out for a drive in his state farm insured Tesla. <laughs> no, he got, he's this henpecked husband who's got a shitty life and he goes around, he goes for a walk with his fucking dog one day and he goes around the corner. He comes into this weird valley full of, as he said, people in old time clothes, meaning the kind of, you know, the lace covered black outfits with pantalons that the original Dutch settlers wore when this was the colony in New Amsterdam. And they were unloading barrels of Geneva and decanting it into big jugs. And then they were sitting down at picnic tables and drinking them. And he had a couple himself. And that's why Rip Van Winkle fell asleep for uh, 20 years. 
Like it's insane. America. So every founded- time you every time you turn around, you're finding a new interesting tidbit or fact about the category. Yeah, and I get a lot of the American information, especially being here in New York, because the first distillery in America was a Geneva distillery on Staten Island in 1661 or 1663. Uh, John Adams, American president, before America was America, the first country that recognized it diplomatically was Holland. He actually lived in Holland for several years, and he went to Schiedam to lobby the Geneva distillers because they were a very powerful lobby. And his son... John Quincy Adams uh, grew up speaking fluent Dutch. So there's just, it's too much. Yeah. It's, there's, there's too much information everywhere. Indonesia is the same, like because it was a Dutch colony and may I say the victim of quite brutal genocide. Uh, there's ridiculous amounts of Geneva history there. The oldest message in a bottle ever was found only a couple of years ago off the coast of Perth in Australia and it was a Geneva bottle, exactly like the rather attractive old Dove Geneva bottle. <laughs> no, I mean, it really was. That had been thrown off a boat, uh, an oceanic research vessel in Fiji, 200 years before. And it had survived wow. with the paper record inside it. And it was picked up by this family out for a stroll in Perth, Western Australia, only a couple of years ago. The bottle is for display now in the Geneva Museum. So that's the cross I bear. But, you know, as, as things go, it could be a lot worse. It's really great owning a Geneva brand. It's really great bringing it out in the world. And I'm particularly stoked about the 100% malt wine Geneva category, which is to say Geneva with no neutral alcohol, because that's what really conquered the world. That's what Jerry Thomas mixed with. That's what uh, led to the building of 392 distilleries in Schiedam near Rotterdam in Holland by 1892. Schiedam is tiny, by the way. It's a it's a village of like 24,000 people and it's what led that's that's today today. yeah but it wasn't it wasn't all that much bigger then it was just it had a lot of distilleries in a small village like in the harbor of new york city uh per the research of david wondrich in 1852 for every one bottle of english gin that was imported they imported 450 bottles of 100% malt wine Geneva. We launched Old Duff in America back at Kubar in 2017. It was the first time that 100% malt wine Geneva had been sold in America for at least 110 years. Philip, if the numbers were so astronomically high, one bottle to 450 bottles... Uh, how on earth did it, did, did it slide so far that that you know still at, at at my bars and I'm sure at Damon's bar as well you know our our pretty well educated guests come in and still don't even know what a bottle of Geneva is. I have two words for you, Souther. <laughs> State Farm. No, no I'm kidding. <laughs> only kidding. Only kidding. Uh, there's four things that uh, put the knife in the back. One was uh, ironically dry vermouth. Right, Dry Vermouth was essentially invented by the Noir Pratt Company in France. And the Italian Martini Company made their version of it and started selling it in America at the end of the 1800s. It was very popular. Think of Tito's crossed with Fireball and multiplied by rum chata. It was like a hit, hit drink. <laughs> and the bartenders started mixing it, obviously, with the hot spirits of the day, which include Geneva. But be- we all know, by the way, that dry Manhattan suck, yes? They suck because dry vermouth doesn't mix well with whiskey or whiskey-like spirits like Geneva. So that was one problem. Mm. 
you know, uh, a second problem was World War One, which occurred on and between all the countries that drank Geneva. Holland, Belgium, Germany, France, England. That was not good, as well as the fact that the war itself wiped out a generation of drinkers. Then America uh, kicked off with prohibition, despite the fact that almost every country in the world had tried prohibition and failed at it by then. America's like, now we're going to give it a go. That That cut off. Yeah. Yeah. That that cut off a big market. And in general, Americans lost their taste for complex, nuanced, professionally distilled spirits in that time. Most people were not drinking smuggled quality spirits from abroad. They were drinking shallowly distilled, you know, shoddily rectified, nasty stuff. So the bartenders responded by drowning it in juice and soda, right? Robert Hesses describes uh, prohibition for America like a mixological lobotomy. And he's not wrong. So that wasn't great. And just as Prohibition was over, World War II, and it's impossible to describe how horrendous the consequences of World War II were. I lived for 17 years in Rotterdam, which is one of the cities that was absolutely leveled by the Germans during World War II. Mm -hmm. Uh, That wiped out generations of drinkers, destroyed the country, destroyed the distilleries. And when they came back, and it's, there's a parallel in the world reopening now after COVID. Everyone is kind of shaken to their core. They've seen how fragile the world is. And the Dutch began to emphasize much more on what people want. Before, they were kind of like cognac producers. Like, we make the best stuff. We're sending it out in the world. You, you lucky people get to drink it. After World War II, they were like, we got to keep the fucking lights on. So mm. as you see, some of them, Double down on new and interesting things like vodka, right? The Nolette family who distilled Kettle One were always Geneva producers. Always, always, always. They doubled down on vodka. Uh, some of them put all the chips on liqueurs like Bowles and De Kuyper. And domestically in Holland, they invented a style of Geneva that had almost no malt in it. So before World War II, Geneva would have something between uh let's say 30 and 100 percent malt wine in it right or the other way around it would be between 70 and zero percent neutral spirits after the war they're like let's just give this a go so they start reducing the malt wine percentage and it gets all the way down to one or two percent so if it's 98 percent neutral and two percent malt the dutch in the 1950s invented vodka right yeah (laughs) what that means is that uh before vodka was ever popular in Western Europe, they had something as cheap as vodka, as easy to make as vodka, as neutral as vodka, and it made buckets of money for them for so long. But it almost killed off the real Geneva, which is to say stuff that tastes like Old Duff Geneva or De Borgen or Balls. And that's why we're, we're the comeback kids now. So we're the victim of you know some interesting circumstances, but I don't think there's ever been a better time to drink great Geneva and support a people like you, Souther, like uh, my friends at the Connell in London and a bar called Gemma in Stockholm. And indeed, just before it all went down in Ukraine, we were about to ship pallets over there because they've got a very vibrant bar community as well. Uh, so it's really people who are down to selling interesting spirits, a shot at a time, a cocktail at a time. And we all know that, that particular part of the market is booming. So it's a good day to be here. Sure. Um, and that's an interesting thing to bring up too, as you mentioned, both the world wars had had an impact on the sale of Jennifer globally. Uh, and even now, as we maybe face a, a potential 
third world world war, it's having an effect on your sales of Jennifer in in Ukraine. Um, you and I were at Barometer uh, two. Was it? Well, I guess it was three years ago. Numbers uh-huh. are always skewed because of the stupid thing, and and we're we're all watching uh, um, with impatient breath as we see what's going on with all of our friends over in in Kiev and Ukraine in general. Um, are you are you uh, as a company? Are you trying to maybe do something to help out with that situation? Yeah, absolutely. I've got a lot of plans to do as much as we can, but really nothing can happen until the war ends. Everything yeah. is is almost just virtue signaling until then. The best thing that you could do is, you know, donate money, share messages, stay in touch with your Ukrainian friends, of which we have many. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and they're they're a tough people. And at the same time, since this is such a big platform, I want to get it out there. I got so many friends in Ukraine. I've been going there for a long time. I've helped wrangle speakers for the Barometer Bar Show in Kiev, which is one of the greatest bar shows that there is. It's incredible. It, it really is. Uh, but I've also been to more cities in Russia than most Russians. I've been to 14 cities, right? I've been going for years. Like, the Russian people don't want this. And I don't think there's any enmity between Ukrainian bartenders and Russian bartenders. We saw that at the show. They would welcome their Russian friends with open arms. Mm-hmm. There's hostility from country to country. But the normal people in Russia don't get to decide that because they, they don't have free and fair elections, right? There are 13,000 brave Russians locked up right now just for having protested the war in the last right. two weeks. Mm-hmm. So that's something that's, you know, it's kind of missed when people are pouring Smirnoff down the drain. It's like, nah, you need to go past the uh, the ladybird's book version of this it's a little bit more complicated than that yeah i mean any any situation like this is of course going to have a lot of nuance and uh and and complications behind it but man it's been really uh unfortunate and and shitty uh and i've been frankly uh it's the the five minute news cycle that we've been trapped in now for so many years i feel like it started uh, you know when we had the trump administration take office and then as that finally wound down then we moved into the covid uh, you know surge and now that seems like it's kind of winding down, and now all I can look at is the news about Ukraine and what's going on uh, with Russia. It's just taxing. It's really taxing. Yeah, that kind of, that got dark really quickly. I think we either now need to talk about stand-up comedy and jujitsu, or <laughs> <laughs> you know, throw throw in a fucking State Farm uh, line. But you know what it is? We're this is part of the world. You know, there have been wars around the world that have gone on, and we didn't give a shit. Right. It wasn't True. emphasized in the media. We didn't care. Um, there's been war in Ukraine for five years already, actually, in the East. And there's hostilities in lots and lots of places. You can drive yourself mad. But, you know, I'll be Pollyanna here and say, even with all of this going on, and you look back, let's not even look back 100 years. Let's look back 50 years, five zero years. And think of a marginalized group, right? A traditionally historically marginalized group. There's never been a better time to be alive. There's still a lot of work to do. But if you look at where we are now, I think we can be fairly happy. And we can sort of say, you know how far we've come? We got lots of work to do, but we should feel a little good about the fact that, you know, we're in a world where the average life expectancy goes up Every year, the number of live childbirths goes up every year. Diseases have been eradicated. Yeah, we got war, but we always had war. We got less war now than ever. Mm-hmm. So I think there's something, you know, can be a little bit happy about that. You don't need to uh, drown your sorrows. Sure, in, if you look uh, at it like a stock chart, uh, we're, we're ticking in the right direction. That is for certain. 
um, it's, you know, still, uh, it's captures, uh, captures my attention and it, it keeps me, uh, I don't know, keeps me on edge, but I'm not the Pollyanna of the show. That would be, uh, that would be Damon's department. Yeah. We, <laughs> we've got large ice cubes and coop glasses, you know, it's, it's an <laughs> interesting time to be alive. I can actually hear the protesters chanting outside the studio now, yeah. you know, they're, they, they've got the, they've got the tiki torches and everything, you know, and then there's a counter protesting group saying, no, you should be free to put ice cubes in coops. Yeah. <laughs> a big giant square ice cube, 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 ice cube in a coop glass. That is the most, uh, frustrating thing visually that I there see. There are on very Instagram. fine people on both sides. So they're, I've yet to I've yet to visit a bar that served me that or served anyone that I've not seen that in a bar. I've only seen it in photographs on Instagram, and I just don't. I just think that's what it is. It's photographs. It's not a real thing. Well, yes, because when you when you try and pour a drink around that, you can pour exactly one and a half ounces of whatever it is that you're serving into <laughs> that glass before it's like full. So then you put your little edible flower or whatever on top. You snap a picture. You take the glass the the cube out of the glass. You fill the rest of it up and you drink it. Right. Yeah. It's, the game. I thought that straws and coupe glasses, I thought that was as bad as it was going to get, you know? <laughs> and then- Did you guys have the thing with the straw outside the V-shaped martini glass? Did you ever do that in the U.S.? Oh, that um, Certainly, no, yeah, so, the, little, the little tiny swizzle straws, yes. Yeah, you get the stir straw, and, and you'd, like, dip it in the drink and then stick it on the outside oh. of the V-shaped martini, and it would stick to it because you were a mixologist. <laughs> yeah. In like 1993. Yeah. Part mixologist, part uh, magician. <laughs> <laughs> Same thing. The magic of physics. Yeah, exactly. I know. Where does magic end and mixology begin? I don't yeah. know. I simply don't. Any sufficiently advanced technology is indistinguishable from magic. That's right. I love that quote. Uh, yeah, indistinguishable to, to the viewer. Um, I think that's, that's, uh, that's what we've got with this cube. The cu- especially the cube. I can almost wrap my mind around the sphere in the coupe glass. But when you see a two-by-two two cube standing up like an, some kind of lazily proud iceberg, you know, it's not even floating. It's sitting because there's not enough liquid to lift it. It's literally a square peg in a round hole. <laughs> <laughs> what do you think, uh, right? Uh, I mean, yeah, you got it. it. Got it. Southern Teague is a, is a sphere fundamentalist. <laughs> yes, I am a sphere dementalist. You're stuck in the past, Souther. Come on, uh, join us. Join us in the future where <laughs> we have self-driving Teslas and apparently self-erasing accident histories. If you were State Farm, yeah. I mean, listen, I am. I'm here with you in the future. We're in three different rooms uh, in two different cities, uh, broadcasting a, a radio show that's a podcast as well. Like, I mean, this is we are the future. Come on. Um, so, Phil, where can we find your show? You, you said it's on Spotify because of the big bidding war, but and hopefully everywhere. But but your other show, it's Phil. It's 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 just called Philip Duff on 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 YouTube. Am I correct? Yeah, and it's got some cool shit on there that I'd forgotten. Like I used to stick stuff up on YouTube, and then I was like, this YouTube thing's never going to work out. But the stuff there TikTok, dating man. back, it's all about TikTok. That's it. <laughs> follow follow follow. Duff talk is very popular. Um, but no there's a couple of things on there that are actually really fucking funny one was also more than 10 years ago because i wasn't even living here full time then i was flying backwards and forwards for three weeks every three weeks to date mrs elaine duff as is now as you might guess from her surname it worked out but there (laughs) used to be so far (laughs) (laughs) there used to be a service 
And you could choose these like cartoon avatars and you could choose the setting, you know, a bar, the beach or whatever. And you could type their dialogue and they would speak it. So there's two actual instructional cartoons there. One is called Off-Duty Bartender Walks Into a Bar. That's got like 28,000 views. And the other one, maybe a little closer to my heart because my day job with Liquid Solutions is helping brands connect with the on-premise and education and stuff like that is off-duty brand manager walks into a bar. So I'm going to big up mm. those oldies out of the archive on my YouTube, which you can find with Philip Duff, uh, because I do think they still stand the test of time. I get people messaging me on a semi-regular basis saying, oh my God, so funny. I wanted to use it to train my managers or train my brand managers or even my directors, but you know, you said fuck a few times too many in the, uh, <laughs> in the cartoon, which does hint strongly that there's an acceptable number of times you can say fuck <laughs> for a director <laughs> level training. I don't know what it is, clearly, but you know, it, it must be out there. So yeah, those those are there and I'll be adding stuff and I'll make a bit more noise when I start interviewing people. This guy called me the other day because uh, he'd seen the podcast and he wanted to get on it to promote his own podcast. He's American. His name is Joe Rogan. Have you guys heard of him? <laughs> He seemed yeah. nice, but like a little, a little needy. And I want to help people out, yeah. right? But not if he's not going to commit to his own podcast. Like, you know, he could stop this thing after a while. And also he did want to talk about <laughs> jujitsu more than was comfortable. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He's a bit of a blowhard though. He talks, he's long winded. Those shows go a little bit long for me. Um, <laughs> Well, cool. Easy to find you on uh, YouTube. I'm scrolling through the videos you have up there now. Uh, it's just Philip Duff. Your name is Philip with one L, Duff with two. Um, you're pretty easily found on Instagram as well. Old Duff Geneva, all spelled out, right? Um, you got any other uh, uh, things you want to plug so people can find you and listen to you and see you doing your thing? Yeah, I mean, look, if you're uh, if you're really old, I'm on Twitter. That's <laughs> Philip Duff at P H I L I P. D-U-F-F, a single L Phillips are obviously in an elevated elite sphere. And also it's kind of great being a single L Philip because you get to see if people are paying attention. I, I imagine it's the same with you, Damon. You must get lots of people emailing you, you know, writing Damien. Damien, David, Dylan. <laughs> the people Dylan? Well, that's your brother, right? Brother. I yeah. get that. But yeah. yeah. No, it's, it's like Neil Bodenheimer, the owner of several prestigious bars in mm -hmm. New Orleans. He's an N-E-A-L. Yeah, and right. if somebody if somebody gets it wrong, it doesn't mean they're a total dick, but <laughs> it's a clue. And if you're in your 40s, I'm on Instagram as Philip S. Duff. That's P-H-I-L-I-P-S for Stephen. D-U-F-F. <laughs> Long story about that. And if you're on TikTok... Uh, well, you're listening to the wrong show or you're snooping <laughs> on your kids, right? And both of that is wrong. You're you're giving your data for free to the standing committee of the Chinese Communist Party. And that's not cool. Although some of the dances are nice. So I don't know. <laughs> uh, so all, all that was to say, you're not on TikTok. You know, I'm on there. On... I've yet to post anything, but I, 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 I troll it every now and again and see what the trends are. Uh, but I've yet to leap into those waters. You know, who's killing it over there? Our friend Sean Sewell up in Canada. He's... He's made quite a splash on TikTok with his... Sean, Sean has really dived in and he's yeah. done, like, I think what it is, uh, his most watched talk is him making a lemon drop. Yep. And I was on a podcast with Sean and I'm like, dude, you might be 
the old fashioned with Sprite girl of our generation. Like somebody, <laughs> somebody might write an article like, whatever happened to Sean Sewell 10 years from now? Right. Like, and, tra- <laughs> and track you down. Although Sean is a very good mixologist. Like, de- demystify. Like, is everyone sitting, is Ryan Chetty or saying, fuck me, thank God Sean has demystified the lemon drop? Yeah. Well, no, but but you know, but you know who is saying that? People who make lemon drops, aka people who are on TikTok. I'm pretty sure that Venn diagram is just one circle right there. Yeah, yeah, the total is complete eclipse overlap. Yes, <laughs> but it is a bit like the porn star Martini. Now you bring it up, Greg. Like you've probably heard this thing that the porn star Martini is the most popular cocktail in the world, and it's the most searched for cocktail, right? I've definitely heard that. Yes, I mean I've heard it really the most, I've heard it's the most searched, most popular. I don't know about that. Margarita. It's- it's in the UK. So I knew Douglas Anchor who created it. I've even been to the strip club in Cape Town. It was named after first because it was originally called a Maverick Martini because Douglas was down there opening Lab Bar Cape Town with my uh, dear friend, Kurt Schlechter. And after a hard day's mixology, they would retire <laughs> to a strip club uh, just to read the articles, obviously. And of course. <laughs> so they, he went back to London and he invented this cocktail. And he called it a Maverick Martini. And no one ordered it. Like, nobody. And they renamed it a porn star Martini. It became a huge hit. Mega. Mm. And then, you know, cocktails moved on. They became less about fruit and citrus and more about Amaros. You probably know a little about this, Souther. Mm. All good. Much like the espresso martini, though, it has surged back. When you're in the UK or Australia, it's insane. Every supermarket has its own branded porn star martini. They even wow. sold porn star martinis in the American bar of the Savoy Hotel. Wow. They had to put it on the register as passion martini because they couldn't say porn in, apparently you can't say porn in the Savoy. <laughs> but it's it's off the charts. It really, really is. Wait a second. How did I wind up talking about the porn star martini? I said it's like the porn star martini. What was I talking about? Lemon drops. Yeah, we were, lemon we were drop. talking about TikTok and, and how we're all you know, oh. suddenly uncool now. <laughs> no, no, it was search terms. What it was, I'm going out on a limb here. Maybe it was Aaron Goldfarb, but he researched this thing. What it was several years ago, Google changed their search algorithms and especially the autocomplete, right? To kind of downrank porn. Mm. So before, if you started, you could be typing in porn star rear-ended State Farm. And, you know, you'd get, you'd get the results you got. But now, if you type in porn star, it auto-completes porn star martini. So lots of people wind up searching for a porn star martini who didn't particularly want a drink, if you see what I mean. Right. So hmm. therefore, it's they're, the They're overwhelmed search. with curiosity when it popped up, so they had to, they had to yeah, see, it, like, see it through. They're like, I'm here anyway. I might as well have a look. But no, that's why it is the most uh, searched for cocktail. It is a, forgive the phrase, a more vanilla version of what you might search for if the first two words of your search term were porn star. Mm. Wow. Hmm. That's pretty incredible. You learn something new every week on this show. Well, you learn something new every time you have a conversation with Philip Duff. That's that's for sure. Uh, It's always a pleasure to have you on the show, man. I really appreciate you taking time out to talk to us about um, your new endeavors with the podcast and, and the new videos you're going to be posting up on YouTube, which I can't wait for. I, uh, you, um, I don't know. You're a fascinating presenter when you're on stage and I, I love to, to see you up there. So um, I'll be happy to see some videos uh, on your YouTube. 
Uh, and then, of course, you know, we're always raising the glass of old, old Dove Geneva. So really, really appreciate you being on the show with us. No, it's great to be back, man. I mean, I remember the the halcyon heydays of recording this in Roberta's. Yeah, 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 with pizza, <laughs> hot, 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 fresh pizza all around. Oh, I, my stomach literally just contracted. <laughs> like it's it's a whole thing. Well, we'll we'll get back to that one of these For days, sure. and it's looking like I might even be able to bend an elbow with Damon next week, which yeah. would be awesome. I didn't know you were that close. I knew you were like somewhere in California. I I, uh, I would come find you. <laughs> <laughs> like if you're in this state, I'll, I'll meet you wherever. But you're gonna be uh, you're gonna be very close by, so that's great. Yeah, they they kind of lock us away in the lodge at Tiburon, mm-hmm. and 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 try to make sure we can't get. It's like it's like a very nice prison camp, <laughs> <laughs> luxury <And it's>, hostel. <laughs> it's like like Damon. I think he must have bought Bitcoin in like 1991 or something. It's so rich. If you go to the local supermarket and buy two bananas, a bag of pasta, and a Red Bull, it's like $900, right? It's it's absurd. Do you know who Steve Beal is? Uh, that name sounds familiar. Oh. So he was one of the original whiskey masters from Diageo. He oh, yeah. is yeah. Uh, yeah. He's amazing. And me and him were judging last year, and he was telling us about Tiburon. He's like, let me tell you about Tiburon, which is right there. Uh he does private whiskey tastings for, you know, very wealthy people. And he's got all the best whiskey in the world. And he knows how it's made. He could equally well be a distiller. And this dude, have, has any of you any of you ever fucked up your foot or your leg? And you have to wear that orthopedic boot? Oh, sure. absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it was for the dude who invented the boot. Oh so he's God. rich. <laughs> he's rich. And of course he lives in Tiburon. Of course yeah. he does. He's got this like massive kind of mountaintop mansion with wraparound windows and Steve's giving the whiskey tasting and all this kind of thing. And everyone's, you know, you know, like when you're the bartender at events, you might be living with four roommates in Bushwick, but everyone wants to be your friend and everyone's talking to Steve. And this one particular guy gets on very well with him. And he's like, Hey Steve, you're, you're a nice guy. You ever go to Hawaii? And Steve who lives in California is like, Oh yeah, I go to Hawaii. He says, well, dude, let me know next time you come, you can put your plane in my hangar. <laughs> I sounds, like, sounds like an offer one cannot refuse Steve told me that and I get it because believe it or not those hanger fees can really mount up yeah. right so that was a very generous offer and that's what Tiburon is like I'll tell you there's there's a thrift store in Tiburon it's called Tiburon Thrift Store very creative it's open three days a week for only three hours and it's what the real real is based on <laughs> <laughs> God. It is not. It's, it is, is it like lightly used Porsches? Yeah, that's, that's exactly it. You can you can buy a Rolex for about a hundred dollars less than what it costs brand new. You know, it's right. yeah, it's it's in all the uh, the second hand, second I'm quoting second hand clothing is still in the stores. Uh, it's still this season. You know, it's like it's like that kind of place. It's gnarly. There's like four restaurants in Tiburon, and they're all caviar centric you know it's like it's pretty crazy so actually that one place does do a great caviar lunch right that place on the main street opposite the bar with the deck yeah yeah there's the oh my god i think it's called california caviar company or something like that Mm -hmm. but not russian caviar because we're not doing that right now (laughs) no we only want top quality caviar from iran (laughs) <laughs> like who ever thought <laughs> Iran would be the preferred option? We are in topsy turvy land here, 
and everybody is scrabbling to get out the fucking atlases. Where is Ukraine anyway? I'm going to have some chicken Kiev. Like, it's a whole thing. <laughs> the big irony, just to bring it back to politics, because, you know, I'm in this bidding war with Spotify and they like a bit of edginess. Um, <laughs> most Russians who moved to America, largely to escape persecution of one form or another, um, they were actually from the Ukraine. Ukraine's a very, very, very big part of the former USSR. And they're like, well, nobody knows where Ukraine is. So they opened restaurants called the Russian this or the Russian that. But they're Ukrainian and people are now boycotting those restaurants. Right. Oh, my God. And that's what's fucked up. Dang. Yeah. Well, I'm still yeah. hungry after that talk. So maybe it's yeah. because it's so much. Um, I'm going to have some chicken Kiev on a pizza now. That's what's happening for lunch today for me. Right on. After this show. <laughs> Beats. Beats on a pizza. Yeah. Going to Veselka's and just buying them, buying them out of their stock. Oh, man. Well, Phil, when you're here, yeah, definitely hit me up so we can grab a drink together. I'd love that. And uh, is Elaine going to be with you? I have the, the best news. I get that question a lot, believe it or not. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes, my gorgeous six-foot-tall American wife will be with me. Nice. We're judging together. Yeah, we normally do a thing. And we either try to kind of break out of the very genteel prison camp at least one evening. <laughs> and last year's was when our dear friend Julio Bermejo drove over the bridge and came and took us to Isaac Shumway's incredible bar, California Gold, which had just reopened. Yes. And it's such a cool place. We even bumped into uh, that, uh, that Californian legend himself, Reza Ismaili, who was, oh, yeah. of course... Drinking, drinking Guinness at the bar. So maybe we'll do that again. Just to come back to how rich this area is, Julio Bermejo, <laughs> the inventor of the Tommy's Margarita, mm -hmm. he's like, okay, Phil, he's like, I'll pick you up at seven. Be out front because as a brown guy, I will almost certainly get stopped by the cops in Tiburon, right? Just because he wasn't driving a McLaren. Right. Like, that's how rich it is there. I love it. I love it. I feel at home. And after the Spotify deal <laughs> kicks in, or maybe not if they keep lowballing me, you know, I'll just get a, you know, a place there, just a little six bedrooms, pool, helicopter pad, that kind of thing. A little piano there. Also, also. <laughs> awesome. Well, I can't, I'm really looking forward to seeing you too. Uh, and can't wait. And uh, thanks again for being on the show today. This has been, as always, a ton of fun, lots of laughs. It's always great. So, uh, yeah, thanks again. And thanks for tuning in to the Speakeasy on Heritage Radio Network. Be sure to go to our website and click on the beating heart to donate to the station. Keep us going. And keep, uh, you know, keep your eyes out for any Teslas. Don't run red lights. Yeah. <laughs> get State Farm insurance. Yeah. Apparently, it takes care of literally everything. You'll never, you'll never remember those incidents you were in. <laughs> it's like it never happened. <laughs> All right. Till next week. Cheers, y'all. Cheers, everybody. Cheers, everybody. Cheers, everyone. So you don't shun the devil with your rock. The Speakeasy is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to the Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and learn more about our 10-year anniversary celebration happening all year long, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find us at facebook.com forward slash heritage radio network. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows that you like. Tell your friends. And please 
Join the HRN family by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening. <laughs>